In this episode of the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience, John Maddox sits down with the legendary negotiator, Chris Voss. Chris has been featured in Time, Business Insider, Fortune, CNN, ABC News, and many others. Chris is prominently known for taking his field-tested skills as the FBI's former lead international kidnapping negotiator and putting them into his book, Never Split the Difference. John talks to Chris about how to find out if you're the favorite or the fool, how to bond with the person you're negotiating with, why Oprah is one of the best negotiators of all time, and much, much more. Now, before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you that we have a Fun Loans YouTube channel with a bunch of great content just like this. So head over, subscribe, like, share, and on to the show. Welcome to the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. Listen in as CEO John Maddox of Fun Loans reveals tips, secrets, and origination ideas to fill your pipeline with million dollar opportunities. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Chris Voss. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Happy to be here. This is an honor to have you here. So Thanks. It's kind. Uh, it's overstated, but what the hell? My mom would <laughs> like it. Well, you know, um, you're definitely uh, one of the most uh, prominent negotiators out there. So it's, uh, it's just great to have you here. And welcome to San Diego. I love San Diego. Yeah, it's, it's cool for us to be here. Very, very happy to be here. That's great. So last night I was watching uh, an interesting video on YouTube called 60 Seconds. Or she dies. 60 seconds as she dies. Yes. And yeah. I, I was just fascinated because the way you were putting the pressure on him as the, as the you know, hostage taker. And, right. And I'm the bank robber makes somebody be the hostage negotiator. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I recommend anyone to watch that because it's a, it's a cool way to, you know, it kind of goes back to my childhood and when I watched movies like The Negotiator and like different movies as I grew up and just... You know, it's one of those things that you think of as, is always intense and, and gets you on the edge of your seat. And, right. But you got to experience that in real life. I mean, that that's something that not 99% of people don't get to do, right? I mean, well, I tell you, DC, the uh, other cool thing about that exercise, which is a lot of fun, because we do it in almost every one of our training sessions. We put a lot of people through it. And it, it goes to exactly like, you know, the body's ability to impact physiological response. Mm-hmm. So we got one volunteer who's doing 60 seconds, so she dies, happens to have an Apple watch on <laughs> without moving a muscle, just sitting still, just, you know, getting hit in the face with how the hostage taker initially starts at. Mm-hmm. His heart rate shot up to 170. Wow. Just sitting still. Yep. He didn't the, even know it. But yeah. It's recording just, on know, his little it, Apple it's watch. Like, it's like what your heart does when you're running as fast as you can, like from the saber-toothed tiger to get away, right? Saber-toothed <laughs> mm-hmm. tiger's chasing you. Right. Your heart's going 170 beats per minute. Yeah. Until that, it that's eats what you. that exercise does to you. <laughs> that's awesome. So it's fun. What, Stress. Yeah. What what caused you to use that as a as kind of a ta- not a tactic, but a tool in your in your training? I started it way back when, when, um, uh, when we were teaching hostage negotiators and in, in law enforcement, and we had a, um, uh, uh, a DVD interactive video game, so mm-hmm. to speak, where that was the introduction. Mm-hmm. So, but without telling them they were going to see that, that DVD, uh, we'd do the inter- inter- initial introductions in a class. You know, you got you know, anywhere from 40 to 50 FBI agents, cops sitting in a room, one of my colleagues used to have everybody introduce themselves. Now, they thought that we had them introduce themselves so they get to know each other. Hmm. Not what we were doing. 
we want to know who the problem children are in the room. You know, if I ask you to stand up, give us your name, tell us one interesting thing about you, and you don't follow those directions, mm-hmm. right off the bat, we see you coming a thousand miles away. Mm-hmm. You know, do you stand up and not say anything? Do you stand up and not follow the directions? Do you stand up and comfortably do as asked? <laughs> You right. know, we're looking for all that. They're dumb enough to think that we actually care about the interesting thing. No, we're doing right. it. We're testing them. <laughs> you know, the most dangerous negotiations are one you don't know you're in. They're already in a negotiation. So we'd have them go around a room, and I'd also know who are going to be the worst listeners. You know, it's an old take on a law enforcement phrase. If you're a, if you're a street cop and you see a bunch of bad guys on a, on a street corner, if you're going to have to fight somebody— Go take out the biggest guy. The rest of them are not going to bother you. Right. You know, do something to the, take out the toughest guy right away. Mm-hmm. And which is a, an analogy for a lot of situations in life. Mm-hmm. So I used to sit around and listen to all these guys. And I, and I know the four biggest trouble, troublemakers in a room. Right. So we had this exercise and I'd stand up in front of them and go, all right, so let's just, just, just for example, let's say, you know, I'm a bank robber. And uh, I got to pick one of you to be the hostage negotiator. And so, you know, what would you say if the bank robber said, I need a car in 60 seconds or she dies? And then I'd go pick out the first loudmouth. And I'd say, you, answer this right now. <laughs> and, and because initially I get this guy, you know, you, you didn't follow directions beforehand. Now right. you're getting punished. Put him on the spot. And so, but then I'd have the four picked out in advance, but they wouldn't know I had him picked out. Mm -hmm. So I'd beat up this guy for a little while verbally, and then I'd switch to the next guy. It looks random. Now, the Mm -hmm. other nice thing about this is, now everybody's in a room scared I'm going to pick on them. Mm -hmm. They're all sitting there like, holy cow, you know, I could be next. (laughs) When in fact, there's only four of them got to worry about it, but they don't know that. This looks completely random on my part. Mm -hmm. It also ended up being a really great exercise. And the, you know, you got to jump in, jump into the deep end. Yep. And we've been doing the same thing in our business negotiation training because there's no shortage of times when somebody walks in the door with a proposition mm-hmm. and says, you know, do this or we walk. Right. Give me my terms now or I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Everybody's faced with that on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's, that ends that up in, being great practice. We see that in the mortgage business where I want this rate that I saw on this billboard. And if you can't get it, tell me now and I'm, I'm out of here. And the other thing, too, and exactly to that point in the private sector, because I know we want to talk about proof of life today, right? Mm-hmm. Like how many times does somebody do that to you when you're never going to get the deal? They only want to know what your terms are. Because they're price matching. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure they either got a good deal or that, yeah. Well, they, they're going like to this their, other guy, right? They're going the, to their the brother-in-law. Mm. But they want the best deal they can get out of their brother-in-law. Right. Or the guy that got the mortgage for them last time. Mm-hmm. Or the guy that their father-in-law wants them to go to. Right. You know, they got, a, 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 there's an old saying, if you, um, if you don't know who the fool in the game is, it's probably you. <laughs> there's always a favorite and a fool. Mm-hmm. You're the fool. Right. But they want to take your terms and make their favorite match them. They want you to commit to something, like give you, give them a rate. And so do you think that it's probably better to then just turn it and ask questions before you give them, give up the rate, right? You want to say, well, what's your credit score like? Or what's your... Well, not your credit score, but we. I want to know right away whether or not I'm the favorite of the fool. How do you do that? Um, well, vision drives decision. 
What does that mean? What that means is before they walked in the door to talk to you, they had a vision of what they expected to happen, either with you or with the other person. Mm -hmm. So simple question of, all right, so if you decide to move forward with us, what would that look like? Or if you, when you move forward, what's it look like to you? assuming the sale, right? Yeah. But begin to ask them to, without them knowing, you need to get their vision of the future out of their head. And are you in it? Because they might be like, well, I'm just shopping right now. Right. Okay, cool. Well, look, look, man, when you're shopping, we're, we, uh, when you make up your mind, when you want the best deal, somebody's dedicated to your future, come back in and we'll talk. Because like if you're the fool in the game, mm-hmm. every moment spent with that person is a moment away from somebody that wants to do business with you. Right. And you cannot make a living... Blowing all your time on someone who's not going to do business with you. That's so true. So find out. Um, you got to ask those questions. So in, what, what are those you know, what's this, what's this look like going forward? When, when you make up your mind, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you have to find out what the vision of their head in their head moving forward is. What's their vision of the future look like? What's the decision look like? Another one is like, all right, so when you, when you made a decision like this in the past, how'd you make up your mind? Well, They're going to the outline best, what that person looks like. I went with the best lowest rate or I went with the person my dad told me to go with or whatever it is. You got, you got to find mm-hmm. out what it is. And then, then you start to find out, I mean, you're either the favorite or the fool. There's no middle ground. Mm-hmm. And there's... Can you switch it, though? Can you become the favorite? Or do you have to just simply find out that you're the fool and move on? The, the amount of time it's going to take you to become the favorite is equivalent to the amount of time you could close four other deals. That's good advice. And every single professional in every industry that we've talked to if they're experienced in the industry, when we talk about the favorite of the fool concept, mm-hmm. one or two things happen. Eight times out of 10, their eyes just light up and they're like, holy cow. <laughs> I've been the fool. I can, I, I, I now know every single one of those times when I thought I simply did a bad idea, I did a bad job. I never had a shot. Or they'll say, you know what? Let me test this out. Or we've asked uh, other questions. Um, we do a lot. We do a lot of stuff in real estate. A lot of stuff in real estate. Mm-hmm. Coaching a lot of real estate brokers. One broker who's very skeptical, but always willing to listen. We flat out asked her. Extremely successful. Extremely successful broker. And we said, okay, um, when you go out on a listing presentation, what's your conversion rate when you just met the people? You had no prior relationship. And she went, mm, really low. Hmm. What's your conversion rate when you had a prior relationship? Oh, it's astronomical, 80, 90%. Right. Uh, did, did you assume you just did a bad job with a low conversion rate, people? Or maybe you were never going to get it. <laughs> and to her credit and anybody else that's willing to listen, it ain't you that's screwing up. Right. You know, if you don't get the business... Everybody wants to blame themselves. I, ne- right. I, I need to do a better job. Right. I need to get better at best practices. Mm-hmm. I need to make a more persuasive pitch. 
before. It ain't. You know what? Maybe you never had a shot. Sniff, yeah. Sniffing it out, sniffing it out in advance, maybe actually the adjustment you need to make. So tie that in with proof of life because that's always interesting, right? So you there's ways for you to find out real quick if there's even a negotiation to be had, right, with the proof of life. There's two issues. Um, is the negotiation to be had and is it with you? Mm. There may be a negotiation. They may not want to make the deal with you. Even even bad guys, even kidnappers. We Actually, what ended up happening most of the time in kidnappings was a competing gang would find out the person had been kidnapped, try to get to the family of the company first to score ransom before the company realized they were paying somebody that didn't even have the hostage. Mm. This is, uh, there's you know, cross-border um, fake kidnappings are a real problem. Any place where college kids go to party, mm-hmm. you know, they're out drinking, they lose their wallet, Mm-hmm. A waiter or a waitress, a bartender, a bouncer finds a wallet. The kid's passed out someplace for eight to ten hours. Let's call the family and tell them we got them. Maybe we can score a ransom before the kid wakes up. <laughs> wow. It, ha- it happens on That's a regular basis. That's a scary call to get. Yeah. Well, they're good at it. They know they, they, know they got to scare uh, the person into making a payment now. I, mm-hmm. I happen to have some social acquaintances that um, that happened to. I just heard about that happening in Paris with a friend of my daughter's. Yeah. The older that's brother. Happens. Yeah. It's it crazy. Happens. It's amazing what people do when they're scared. Yeah. So you, you got to get to proof of life in that situation. Right, maybe or you got the hostage. Yeah, and yeah. then they show you the ID, maybe. Right, like is that how they they do the proof of life? Or well, then the, ne- the next issue, and, and and this was actually, um, how do we how do we know they're alive? Mm-hmm. How do we know that if we pay, you're gonna let them go? Right. I mean, the, the real issue was, what's a legitimate question that you can respectfully ask? And as astonishing as it is. Kidnappers realize that's a legitimate question. Mm. And as long as you ask it respectfully, mm-hmm. you know, politely, the Brits got a great phrase. You can be as rude as you want as long as you're polite about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, which really means it's okay to be assertive. Just do it politely. Interesting. Any, under any circumstances, there are always legitimate questions that you can ask as long as you ask them politely. So ask the questions, right, even with kidnappers. How, how do we know if we pay you, you're going to let little Bobby go? Right. Little Johnny. Little Johnny. <laughs> yeah. How do you know? How do you know? What do they usually say? They, they, they realize it's a legitimate question. Mm-hmm. And, w- and a great how question, the real issue is not what they say, but what you made them think when you asked it. Like if you're serious enough to pay or if you're serious enough to listen to what they want or. That's among the many things Mm -hmm. that they're going to ask themselves. And and that's that's the value of a great, we call them calibrated questions. Great value of a calibrated questions is not how you answered it. It's the thought process I put you through when I asked it. Mm. It's a stop and think question. Daniel Kahneman, uh, author of Thinking Fast and Slow, Nobel Prize. Prize winner behavioral economics, 2002-ish. Mm-hmm. What he refers to in his book as slow thinking is in-depth critical thinking. Mm-hmm. The stop you in your tracks kind of question. Everybody's been asked a question that stopped them dead in their tracks. Mm-hmm. Didn't make them angry. Mm-hmm. 
caused them to think so much it stopped them dead in their tracks. Right. That's what, how do I know that you're going to let Johnny go if we pay to stop you in your tracks question? Mm-hmm. And then I got maybe the advantage have, I wanted. Have they not thought that through all the way, maybe? Or, you know, they're like, whoa, yeah. Well, Sometimes what am I gonna do? they haven't thought it through. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they realize that you've brought up a good point. Yeah, if, they gotta they gotta make you believe they're gonna do that in order to get you to get what they what to give what they want. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean the path to what they want has gotta be through what you want. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a book. What was there any book that sort of impacted you early on uh, in your life that kind of is like a go-to book that you think people should read like everyone should read it if they want to be a good negotiator well never split the difference oh wait a minute that's one i wrote (laughs) (laughs) definitely (laughs) what about one that impacted you no along the way actually one of the first big turning point book was um start with no by jim camp written in 2002 and we actually um collaborated with jim and his Mm -hmm. family on a lot of our material shortly after the book came out and even a, a couple of times in recent years, Jim has since died. We've done work with his son, Todd. A lot of great ideas in that book. Now, I remember I'm walking through a bookstore, 2003-ish, airport bookstore, always browsing the books. Mm-hmm. I see on the shelf the title of the book, Start With No. And I remember doing a double take. I'm like, Start With No? I thought, <laughs> wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to get the yes. Right. You know, everybody said, get the yes. Getting the, I start with no. <laughs> it's nuts. I, I literally, I do a double take. I walk over. I thumb through the section real quick. I look for value in it right away. If there's enough value, uh, initially I'll buy the book, bought the book. And it was really the idea Camp's proposition was not that you were trying to get people to say no, but you made them feel it was okay to say no. Mm. His definition of negotiation was giving people the right to veto. What the hell does that mean, the right to veto? Mm -hmm. In his terminology, the right to say no. Mm -hmm. And Jim's approach always was like, like, I'm going to give you a proposition, say no at any time. Feel free to say no. And Jim writes in his book, it's people's autonomy. You can't violate their autonomy. And he literally writes, people will die over their autonomy. That mm-hmm. is exactly why we have hostage negotiators to begin with. Right. It's like the hill they die on, right? It's the like, hill they die on. Yeah. And so I thought, well, if there's this good intersection here between business and hostage negotiations, I got to pick up this book. Still a very good book to this day. Interesting perspective, layman's perspective. He's got a phenomenal section on what we used to call open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. He calls them interrogatives, who, what, when, where, how, and why. The reporter's interrogative question. Mm-hmm. That's why he called them interrogatives. Most people know him simply as open-ended questions. Thought-provoking, good book to read. Right. You said a good point there that, that kind of made me remember my early training as a loan officer was, yeah, you want to get them to say yes three times, right? Until then they, yeah, that, yes, and you not, make the closing, nonsense. Yeah, the closing yeah. question and they go, yes. Um, so talk Todd to Danny s- believes in that. Yeah. So talk to us about why that's not the right approach. All right. So I'm willing to concede that maybe there was a point in mankind's history where it was. Mm. Maybe. Here's the problem. It's been so overdone. Everybody's yes battered. Right. Like every salesperson, good and bad, has that training, Mm -hmm. which means every bad salesperson, including every person selling swampland (laughs) or snake oil. Or coupon books that you can't figure out how to retrieve, how to, how to, and so 
we've all been battered by by the con man with yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like a battered child. It's a, it's a battered child child syndrome. It's yet it's yes battering it's syndrome. Also- probably trying to trick someone, right? You're, you're getting rhetorical questions right. and then you're like, Ooh, I snuck it in there. And they said, yes, right. but it's not really what they wanted. Right. That's the problem. Right. It's been done. So overdone that now, as soon as somebody tries to get me to say yes to anything. So are you in Southern California? My answer is, where's the hook? If I say yes. What am I letting myself, where's this going? Mm-hmm. Not, there isn't a single yes question out there. It's kind of fun to watch. Um, ask somebody if they know what time it is. They won't just say yes. Yeah. Do you have the time? I'd be like, yeah. ah, 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 you know, <laughs> they're you, worried you about what happens. Right. They say yes. They're, 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 they're in a moment out there. Do you have a few minutes to talk? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Right. How long is a few minutes? Who are you? Yeah. How do I get away? Right. Yeah. These people are just, it's a problem with like yes. you said, beaten down and, you know, been, especially with today with the robo calls and just, just constant pitches everywhere you Phone go. Rings. Yeah. Yeah, somebody called, is this Chris Voss? If I say yes to that, what am I letting myself in for? Right. Why should I be scared to say it's Chris Voss? <laughs> and in fact it is. Yeah. But I'm scared as to where it's going as soon as I say yes. That's the problem with yes. Yeah. So what got you started? Do you, do you, do you think you grew up kind of think like some people want to be firefighters and policemen and, uh, you know, did you have any kind of aspirations nope. towards this or did you, was there a time when you thought you realized you were good at it or nope. just kind of all left field, man, all left field, <laughs> one left field experience out of another, which is, you know, everybody's interesting life, mm-hmm. right? If mm-hmm. you just follow, I, uh, I think I'm coachable. I think if I possess any attribute that helps me to get better at this, mm-hmm. it's that I'm coachable. Like, I don't care what it takes to be good at something. Just tell me what it takes to be good and I'll do it. Tell me what the repetitions are. Tell me, tell me how to hold my hands on the golf club or the basketball or, the, or how many steps to take bowling. I don't care how many steps it takes. I don't, I don't care where you want me to do this stuff. Right. If there's something I want to be good at, I just want to go to somebody who knows how to be good at it, and I'm going to follow the instruction, which is coachability. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Michael Jordan prided himself on being coachable mm-hmm. more than anything else. Right. You know, Shaquille O'Neal, dude was coachable. Mm-hmm. You know, he came he he came into the NBA, he had one move, the dunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, his his coaches said, "You got to get a spin. You got to you got to you got to go underhand. You got to do this. You got to do that." O- O'Neal went like, "Okay." Mm-hmm. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Do you think it's a good advice to get a coach if you're in like in the real estate or mortgage business to have a coach? All the top performers have coach coaches. So, so yes. It's uh, yeah. Well, and and yeah. You see, I didn't even say yes to that. Right. I was scared. <laughs> what if I said yes? What's that going to let me in for? Right. You know, but um, but if you want to be a top performer, then it's clear that these top performers have. Coaches. Tiger Woods has had a swing coach since uh, uh, every step of his career. Mm-hmm. I've been astonished, especially now being in business, the number of top executives that have coaches. Some of the coaches have coaches. Right. Tony Robbins coaches people. Tony Robbins has coaches. Right. They're, they're, if you want to, anybody you want to envy, you know, they are going to somebody to help them get better. I think that says something too about them being coached, like willing to be coachable. That's a good point. Right. If you're not willing to be coachable or coached, 
you're probably not going to be able to rise to the top. You're going to have trouble getting to the next level. Right. Completely. Yeah. Do you have any uh, favorite negotiation stories that you want to share with us? Oh, God. Favorite stories. I'll tell you the most annoying story. (laughs) Love it. Uh, and I know you had him in earlier. My son Brandon gets a better hotel room than me every every time we go out. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sick to death of him being in a suite <laughs> while I am in the basement. He does that all the time. Um, but I mean, you know, off the top of my head, I mean, converting any converting uh, somebody's angry into a friend, or if there's a situation where it should blow up. Um, where I used to live in LA, I come, I go to park one day and brand new neighbors are like right on top of my spot. So I leave them a note and I say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sure I'm going to seem like the annoying neighbor who's demanding and wants more than they're entitled to ask for. Here's my number and my name. Is it too much to ask for you to move your car over in your spot next time you come out? Some people are like, you know, how dare you? Right. This community property. Then they put up I'm the- I'm going to call the police. I'm going to have your car towed. Right. And plus, you know, they ain't never going to talk to you. Sure. I get in a, an apologetic text message. Girl gives me her name and number. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was such a nice letter. Not only, you know, we'll park on the far side of the parking lot, parking, parking spot next time. Um, I enjoy those kind of interactions. What, what might have been a problem mm-hmm. turned somebody into a friend. So you, you come, I come across people that do both those, right? So that is very powerful. You come across some people that are like probably most people that are going to get angry. Right. You know, want to spew out something, yell at them, write nasty notes. What's, how does someone change their mindset if they're that type of person versus the one that you just described? You know, well, really it's people follow what they perceive to be successful. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another example. Um, another girl that I'm dating, we're shopping at Macy's. She finds a jacket she really wants. It's got this tiny flaw on it. She's watch. I'm going to go get 10% off on this. Uh, and she was used to, this got a flaw. This is bad. Hammer, hammer the person. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, hold it, hold it, hold it. I'll go be nice and get 30% off. <laughs> but in her previous experience, 10% off was a victory. <laughs> so her data is, if I go be mean, I could do better having never been shown how to be nice and get even further. Hmm. So you're interpreting your data Mm -hmm. based on your experience. And if your data isn't any better, you know, again, like Jim Camp used to talk about, how do you describe a jet to somebody who's only flown propeller-driven airplanes? Right. They'd say, I've flown planes my whole life, and this is what they can do, and this is how fast they go. Right. Until they see a jet go plat go buy them, they assume that their success rate is as good as it could be. And that's the, that's a real big difference in a lot of these types of negotiations. You know, a lot of people see uh, an attacking, loud, combative negotiator. Mm-hmm. And not to pick on anybody, but the poster child for that these days is Donald Trump. Yeah. 
And I go like, wow, look at how much money he has. Mm-hmm. Well, in my view, the best negotiator in the world is Oprah Winfrey. She got enough money to buy everything Donald Trump owns mm-hmm. three times. Mm-hmm. She didn't attack anybody. Plus, look at where she started versus where she is. Right. She started a lot farther. You know, Donald Trump's son of a, a millionaire real estate developer in New York City to start with. The old right. man, you know, spot him a few million dollars to get him started. Right. She didn't have that start. <laughs> she didn't quite have that start. <laughs> no. But nobody thinks of her as a great negotiator, but in my view, she's one of the greatest, nego- greatest negotiators that ever lived. Right. And you don't see that her, you don't ever get to see her negotiations as far as I remember, but she's clearly made some incredible negotiations in her career to get her, you know, to where she's at. Yeah. Well, yeah, because uh, the most dangerous negotiation is the one you don't know you're in. Mm-hmm. Oprah is constantly negotiating. Nobody realizes that's what she's doing. <laughs> That's a, that's a very good point. So you mentioned Donald Trump and we, I've seen, I've kind of watched his negotiations and early on before he was president, you know, when I, I got the book, you know, yeah, the art I, of, I bought it too. Yeah. Right. The art of negotiation. And, um, do which you think, by the way is worth reading. Yeah, I agree. I you mean, know, I, for I all you Donald Trump fans out there, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm bad mouthing Donald Trump. The book's worth reading. It's insightful. I, you know, I, I've read it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I get value out of it. So we talked earlier with your son about that there's different types of negotiations, right? right? There's the assertive one, the right. <clears throat> the other two that I'm, I'm blanking on right now. But Analyst and accommodators. Accommodator. So you look at Trump and you see, you think, and maybe this is his evil genius or whatever you want to call it, that he's this, you know, assertive always. Right. And the stick and he's emotional and he's got all these, you know, fly off the handle, bomb Soleimani, you know, and all this stuff. Right. But right, then, right, right. then you hear, you know, oh, we're great friends and we're, you know, I'm great friend. I made great friends with, you know, Rocket Man or whatever he calls him. Uh, right. right, and, right. And, and so you think, does Donald Trump have more than one style? And are we seeing a lot of the, the sort of style, but we don't see the behind closed door style that he might, you know, pull off when the cameras aren't on or the, uh, do you think he has more than one style that we don't see? You know, I think he's probably adaptable. I think also to some degree, what we don't see also a lot is like, for example, the, who handles him better than anybody else? His son-in-law, Jared. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be tough to argue that anybody is more effective with him other than his son-in-law. Do you ever see his son-in-law yell at anybody? No. Dude's quiet behind the scenes. Highly analytical. Mm-hmm. Well, it's similar to Pence then too, right? He seems like that kind of guy. Also, right? And even, even in the book, The Order of the Deal, Trump talks about who handled him well. Hmm. Like when he, when, when he first took over the Plaza Hotel, he was micromanaging a little bit. And, and he includes his story to sh- show, this is how you handle me. Hmm. So guys running a hotel... In order, instead of fighting the micromanagement, said, okay, you can make every decision. <laughs> and you probably started bothering him over what kind of paper clips to buy. <laughs> and then a guy went like, all right, so you want to make decisions? You can make them all. <laughs> and pretty soon Trump went like, stop bothering me. Just handle this stuff on your own. That's not what I want. You yeah. just, you decide. You know what? You know, yeah. Hey, you know what? You're doing a fine job now. Now, now just go back and don't bother me anymore. Yeah. Let me know if there's a big problem. Right? And, and I, yeah, I, th- I thought he did a good job putting that in the book of like, here's how you handle me. Mm-hmm. Don't fight back. 
maybe give me a little more of a dose of what I asked for than I expected, and I might change my mind. Right, right. So it's, uh, you know, I think he respects people who adapt to him. Mm-hmm. Speaking of kind of Trump, the president, the economy, you, you probably have some insight or some opinion on what kind of what's happening with the economy. I mean, it's obviously in the one of the best places it's been in a long time. Right. Um, do you think that'll last based on, you know, if he's reelected? Do you think there's there's some blowback that might happen from kind of what his policies have been doing? I mean, I don't want to get too political, but, you know, I mean, do you think you know, our economy's headed in, in the right direction? Well, I, you know, I, I got to tell you something. I don't worry about that stuff that much anymore because if as a person or an organization, if you're um, voracious about learning, mm-hmm. you're never going to be worried about change mm-hmm. ever. Right. Because if you're not out in front of it all the time, you are going to be right behind it when it does. Mm-hmm. Things always change. Right. They're going to change. If you, if uh, what you run into trouble thinking, that things aren't going to change. Right. Um, there was a Royal Dutch Shell executive, um, and I will not be able to pronounce his name because the Dutch say their G's different than than we do. Mm-hmm. But it was like R D Geis Geis, and I cannot do. You know, they kind of cough Geis. You know, Geis, yeah. And I'm not. Yeah, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just can't do it. Right. But he once he once wrote the only sustainable competitive advantage is to learn faster than your competition, because then that makes you adaptable. The economy's mm-hmm. going to change; it's going to mm-hmm. go up, it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Nothing's a straight line. I think that goes back to you saying being coachable, right? Just to being open. thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Instead of being afraid of the change, be enthusiastic about what the where the adventure is going to be. Right. Then you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Good point. Um, so with, with, uh, mistakes, you know, the yes, yes, yes. That was obviously maybe worked for a while. Now it kind of turned into, uh, maybe one day it worked. It doesn't work anymore. So that's, that's another example of change, right? Things yeah. change. What are some other things in negotiations, some other misconceptions or things that people are doing today that you think, whoa, those are like yesterday's example. Go first and go high. The top negotiators will do neither. It's, um, I want to go first and I want a high anchor is a characteristic of basically a B grade negotiator. Hmm. And the top ones, the only reason why you're scared to go, you want to go first is because you're afraid of the other person's number. You can't take a punch in the nose. You hold Mike Tyson line. Everybody has a plan until they get hit. (laughs) So I got to hit the other side first. Mm -hmm. The top negotiators, they want to know what you have to say first. There's a pretty good chance that what you think is a great number for you is actually a better number for me. (laughs) But if you throw that number and it was better for me, then I'm going to go, I don't know. Then I'm going to make you fight for that number. When in fact you're fighting for what I wanted to begin with. Right. You know, one of the descriptions of negotiation is the art of letting the other side have your way. Mm. How do I let you have my way? I got to get you talking. Mm-hmm. And then when you say something that I love, I go, well, maybe. And then you'll fight for that. Mm-hmm. But it was something I wanted to begin with. And you'll feel like you won. Right. So you just don't show your negotiators, 
Top negotiators want you showing your cards. Yeah. And and when you start going first, then you're going to start showing your cards. Right. That's good. Um, you know, like when you get into intense situations, right? So you're, you've been in many intense situations, I imagine. Um, how do you Last handle night, this morning? <laughs> you know, and how do you handle these situations? Do you, you know some people do box breathing? There's little life hacks. There's yeah. certain things you know, eat the right food, diet. But but in a situation that you're in, when you when it's going south fast or going wrong, kind of like that sixty seconds where she dies and that guy's you know heart rate's shooting up. How do you control your emotion? Your you know your situation. How do you control your own emotion? Well, one of the easier hacks. Because I was a little upset at my hotel this morning. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've sort of practiced the calming voice. Because if, I, if I'm upset with somebody and I use an angry voice, it's going to turn them off. They're going to want to fight me back. It's not going to do me any good. It's just, I'm slapping myself in my face. Mm-hmm. But the other thing the calming voice does is I hear it too. Mm. So not only does it help them keep their emotions under control, it helps me reel myself back in. And I, I literally said to him this morning, like, look, look, I realize I'm upset right now. I am upset. And the mere act of saying that at that time calmed me down. And it also made it easier for them to hear what I had to say. It, to them, I look like so, while somebody who was angry I was being respectful enough to try to keep my anger under control because mm-hmm. I had reason to be angry. And you look like a rational, more rational person that they can maybe fix your anger, you know, you, help you. you or, yeah. They appreciate you making the effort. Right. But how do you do that? Is that practice. something you practice? You got to practice. It's right. all repetition. There isn't anything out there that isn't repetition. Right. Daniel Coyle wrote a great book called the talent code among the many books we recommend. Mm-hmm. Coyle's contention is that everything is learnable. Now, I can't learn to be seven feet tall, (laughs) which I wish I would have been because as a kid, I wanted to play professional basketball and I never got there. Right. But other than a very few things like that, um, there are a few things out there that aren't learnable. Kobe Bryant would probably and probably did say that he was a, one of the greatest players, not because he was born with the skills, but because he worked at it. Mm -hmm. I heard something actually on the way to work today where they said Kobe Bryant wasn't the most talented, but he outworked most people. And that was his coach that said that. You're going to have trouble finding any of the top performers anywhere that wouldn't say that exact same thing. Right. I wasn't the most talented. I was the hardest working. Right. And in point of fact, they're most likely also coachable. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they got to pick it up from somebody. Do you think that people can kind of paradigm shift out of this? A lot of people just sort of run the program. They just go to work. They do their calls. They do their things. But is there a way to like break out of your old habits and just grab the wheel and just, you know, become that hardest working person? Because some people just, I think some people are naturally harder working, you know, and then others maybe naturally lean towards not being harder. Yeah. Like, how does someone, do you think, sort of realize, like, you know, I can break out of that? And Yeah, you can. It's, re- it, it's easier. It's easy to say. It's, it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. But it's why a lot of people out there saying gamify it. 
I mean, there's no shortage of philosophy going on now in business that, you know, you want to get good at something, gamify it, turn it into a game. Hmm. Fun is a hack. Right. Do you what know? you love kind of thing. Well, it, or even if you don't like doing it, mm-hmm. if you can figure out a way, especially if you don't like doing it, maybe. Then you got to tr- yeah, figure out how to make figure it a Figure out a way to make it a game. You know, gamify it. Right. And then suddenly your brain actually kicks in in a completely different way. You're actually smarter when you're playing a game than you are when you're undergoing an ordeal. Um, you're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. That's what a game does to you. Automatically puts you in a frame of mind where you're actually smarter. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Um, uh, well, all right. So a source of my data is Sean Acker, Harvard psychologist, did a TED talk, which is absolutely worth listening to, called The Happiness Advantage. Mm, okay. um, and it, it's a neuroscience issue. When you're in a positive frame of mind, your brain releases certain chemicals into your system. Dopamine, serotonin, uh, um, uh, at least one other, which will come to me in a minute. Dopamine is the principal one. Mm-hmm. You know, the happiness drugs, if you will. Right. Um, and your brain speed, speeds up. Now, exactly why it speeds up under the release of these chemicals, you know, why your pattern your recognition increases. You, you want to pay more attention to it? Well, uh, and, and you, you're actually capable of paying more attention. Mm-hmm. Now, exactly how that causes the molecules, molecules to change, I, couldn't, I can't give you 100% of the explanation. We just know it occurs. Yeah, we, it works. You know, anybody that's looking at it just know it works. Right, right. So... Um, what do you do when you, you, you're in a negotiation or a situation where you realize this person doesn't want anything? Like they just are wasting your time. Well, right? what's commodity at stake? What are they really after? The most dangerous negotiation to one you don't know you in, you're in might also mean the commodity at stake for you is not the same as the commodity for them. Mm. That actually happens in business a lot. Um, they're scared to make the deal. They're afraid of the future. Afraid of commitment? Uh, of any type. Right. They're afraid of a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, the currently, the healthcare field is very much like this. Mm-hmm. Insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, they don't know what the healthcare laws are going to be a year from now. True. You know, whatever Republican, whatever uh, political party you're in, you want to screw with the healthcare laws. Mm-hmm. The only thing you're sure of is that you don't like the status quo. <laughs> so what if you're making a living in that industry? If they make the wrong deal now, it could wipe them out in a year. They're scared mm. of making deals. Right. So that's, uh, but sometimes they have to make a deal. Mm-hmm. We've coached people that have sat down at the table and they've said, you know, every time we talk to the person on the other side, all they do is call us names. <laughs> How? How, how does this guy think he's going to make the deal if he keeps calling us names? I think he's just stalling. Guy's stalling. Yeah. He's, 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 he's complete fear-driven. Mm-hmm. So the commodity at stake here is time, not the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do we stay ahead of the quarterly earnings? I mean, you have to really, un- the other side's behavior is going to tell you what they think is really at stake versus what they say is at stake mm-hmm. or what you think is at stake. Mm-hmm. So read the behavior. Is that something that takes time to learn? I mean, it- the first few times it does. Yeah. Any one of those, you'd be shocked at as soon as you start looking how quickly it comes to you. Mm-hmm. Initially, what seems like um, people are reading a crystal ball, 
you try to read the situation a couple times and now stuff starts jumping out at you really fast. You just got to take the time. The first few times is difficult. It feels awkward. It feels painful. Mm-hmm. You can get by the first few times. It'll come to you really fast. That's good. What about empathy? I know you talk about empathy. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that and how important that is in, in making the other side feel like you care which will help them give in a little bit, right? Yeah, no, it's an interesting sequence because um, it's letting them know you understand and consequently they feel like you care. Mm Kind of bizarre. (laughs) But once you feel completely understood, again, there's a neuroscience response. When you feel understood, you feel an epiphany. Like, holy cow. (laughs) Well, this person really understands me. Right. Neuroscience, again... You look up epiphany and you look up chemical releases into the body. Among the things that happen with you when you experience an epiphany is you get a jolt of oxytocin, Mm. which is the bonding drug. (laughs) You know, there's no shortage of guys trying to figure out how to release oxytocin in the young lady that they want to get closer to. Right, right. Because it's the bonding drug. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the epiphany does the same thing. So when you feel completely understood, you'll feel differently. And among those feelings, because you got to hit oxytocin, you'll feel bonded to me. Mm -hmm. So all I did was understand you, but you felt something. You don't know what it is. But you're more than likely it's not like to when make two a deal. people like the Jets, or like you know, they two people like the same team, or they like the same. Yeah. And then you feel this bonding, and it's yeah. Yeah, that's yeah good. exactly. That's a, that's exactly it. So how do you trigger that? That as silly as it sounds, the feeling of being completely understood is so gratifying that you feel like you want to collaborate with the person that understood you. Mm-hmm. It's the dumbest hack in the world, <laughs> but it works. It's kind of like when people go through intense situations together, right? Uh, a lot. Yep. There's something that happens that bond. That that's probably some of that drug released in your mind or the chemical. Right, right. right. You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta hit up oxytocin. Which is kind of leads me to my next question: Is I've been studying a lot about the brain and the subconscious and the conscious brain, right? Some crazy stuff in Some there, huh? Really crazy stuff. And and you know, with the social media and how that has become so addicting to kids and to people, and why they, you know, the dopamine hit when they right. get those likes, and kind of goes back to that, you know, thing that you're talking about is just. You know, there, there's there's parts of your brain that, you know, probably your, and it's your subconscious where you might do something and you're like, why the hell did I do that? Right. But you don't realize maybe that was something that you were maybe, quote unquote, programmed to do as a young person or you watch someone right. do that and you, just, right. and you just, why did I do that? But, but, um, and then the conscious mind where, you know, um, <clears throat> you, you're in the situation, you're thinking about the past or the present. And you're not really living in the now, um, right. you know, in a negotiation, is there, is there some people that make these decisions just from the subconscious or, or how do you get them to start to get out of that instinct versus, uh, like think about what you're saying and then to really, to really get them to focus on what you're saying and, and to be open to it. Cause you know, like some people have reactions, right? So they're going to, you're going to say one thing, they're going to react without even thinking. Um, is there a way to tap into that conscious part of their mind? Yeah, that's, that's actually, that's really what tactical empathy is all about. I'm, I'm basically going to start taking wild guesses on what's going on in your head. Mm-hmm. 
And when I take those wild guesses, I'm either going to be right or you're going to help draw me in onto what is right. Mm. So if I say, it looks like XYZ is really bothering you, you'll say, no, it's not. It's not XYZ. It's TUV. Now now you're you're guiding me in. Right. You know, you you appreciate the collaboration. Mm Mm-hmm. Like if you could tell you're on a call with a, a, a borrower and you mention the rate, looks like the rate's bothering you, you know, yeah. is that, is that, or is it, you know, maybe it's a cash out. They wanted more cash out to do the kitchen or maybe they wanted the college kids fund. So to find out that motivation or the benefit to the borrowers is a, is a thing that we have to do as, as loan officers and loan, loan originators to really get to the bottom of what they want, you know, like kind of like a proof of life, but, or like, right. a, no, you're, you're on, you're on the right track and, and, and see the simple thing for a loan officer is like, you know, when you see hesitation on the other side, you got a whole bunch of terms, you don't know which one they're hesitating on. Right. You're going to, you're going to read it properly, probably about a third of the time and point of fact, but it just say, seems like something about this bothers you. That's a good question. You know, just, just, just throw that out there like that. Mm-hmm. Like even but, if they're just being quiet, right? Yeah. Or if they're being quiet and you can see them thinking, then you say, seems like you're giving this a lot of thought. That's good. You know, just make the observation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about an observation of how somebody's reacting that has a remarkably high response rate. Hmm. And not just a remarkably high response at all, but actually um, legitimate, genuine, good data response. A higher rate than if you ask them, what's bothering you? Hmm. What's holding you back? So you just, you're echoing kind of a, <clears throat> an observation. So like, right. like one example, exactly. one thing I think of that we face a lot is, you know, non-response. So let's right. say we're talking, we're doing a deal and then they go quiet. Right. Maybe it's an email, right? You're just email chain back and forth every day. Right. You're going back. Then they go dark. Right. Is it good then to respond to that by saying, seems like you're thinking a lot about, you know, the proposal, like how would you get them back engaged? Well, whatever your gut instinct is, your gut instinct read, you know, whoever you are, mm-hmm. it's probably pretty good. So just say, seems like, and this can go in an email, nothing more. And then follow it with your read. You got a good gut instinct. Unless this is your first day and your <laughs> first client and you got no training. Right. The subconscious that you were talking about before has actually collected a lot of data for you. Mm-hmm. And the subconscious is a good read. We just don't often know what to do with the read. Mm-hmm. What we do with the read is put seems like in front of it and either say it or put it in that and only that in an email. And, and then short and sweet and make it a short question. And sweet. You can make it a question. You could put a dot, dot, dot at the end of it. Mm-hmm. You know, punctuation can uh, mimic inflection. Right. Tone of voice. Right. Typically, a period all by itself comes off as cold and distant, Hmm. which is why I use either dot, dot, dot at the end of an observation or a question mark, or if I'm really feeling artistic, 
I'll go dot 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 question mark. <laughs> yeah. And and I get a much higher response rate with that. The period by itself in an email will probably come off as cold and distant. And would not probably not require a response sometimes. Well, you get um unless you've get kind of been the cold and distant feel is what's going to inhibit the response. Right. Because then they're like, eh, just kind of push it aside. Yeah, they, you know, they, or they don't really, they're not drawn to responding. There's some psychology behind like a question mark in yeah. an email, right? Yep. Yeah. You almost like, like one thing I've found in, <clears throat> in, in my years of, you know, sales and all that is that if you do a short statement, like what you said, and then put a little question at the end. Ah, okay. Easy question, right? Like an easy way. Because I think a lot of the, the times too, you want, like we're, we're talking to prospects all the time and we're trying to get the next answer, right? Even if it's an initial reach out to someone, if you put some huge long thing that's overwhelming, they're going to oh, brush God. it aside. That's the worst thing they can do, right? Right, exactly. But if you put something short and sweet to get their attention, maybe a, something that trigger that, oxytocin like i see that you're right. also a fan of this or right. you're you're a philanthropist you know this is great and then you follow that up with a little question that what would be a question that you'd ask to 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 try to get someone to respond just a cold like a cold email to someone that you don't know but to get them to respond well make your question be one where no works for you no and instead of saying um uh would you like to do this mm-hmm the question is, is this a ridiculous idea? <laughs> Are you against doing this? Mm-hmm. Is it too much to ask X? Mm-hmm. But uh, let's go back to the yes problem that we talked about earlier. The ridiculous thing is, is getting them to say no. People feel safe and secure when they say no. Mm-hmm. It's um, provokes positive interaction instead of triggering defensiveness. Kind of like when you retreat, they advance thinking. Uh, uh, well, yeah, because when you retreat, they don't feel attacked. You know, it's, it's keeping people from feeling either, either attacked or trapped. Mm-hmm. And yes is usually a trap. So if I put a question at the end, it's going to be a no-oriented question. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be, <clears throat> are you against, do you disagree, is it a ridiculous idea? Mm-hmm. That's probably going to be the question. Where, where the no... Uh, moves us forward versus trying to move forward via yes. Something I toyed with about five, no, six years ago, right after the crash, or maybe as longer now, seven, eight years ago, was when I'd get a lead, it was a real cold lead, and I didn't know why it worked back then, but I would ask someone at the end, because they were a homeowner, they were, they were someone that went through foreclosure, hmm. and now they were renting. I would just say, are you presently locked in a lease? Ah. And I thought what I was doing was getting them kind of a takeaway, like a disqualifier. Like, Interesting. Right? right? But really it was looking for a no, and I didn't even realize I was looking for a no. So because I want them to say, no, I'm not locked in a lease. I can get out of my lease anytime. You know, that would be kind of the response that you would get to that nice. question. Yep. And I didn't even realize that I was what I was doing was the power of the no, which is that kind of a mix between a takeaway and a, and a no, like how, I, cause what was the psychology behind that? Do you think that would make it work so well? Um, well, the, the dynamic really is that people feel safer when they say no. 
That's mm-hmm. why so many people say no unthinkingly. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, say no. Yeah, so if you can end your email with a question that leads into a no, there's probably a higher probability of them responding. Yeah, oh, it's much, it's much, much higher. Plus, having said no, people feel that they can give you more information without committing themselves. Right. There's something about once the word yes has crossed somebody's lips, they feel that everything that they say digs them in deeper. Mm-hmm. So um, you might want to know what the additional problems are. Right. But if you get there, try to get there through the gateway of yes, they're not going to tell you because they're, they feel even more committed. They're not ready to commit. That's good advice. That's good. One of my favorite quotes is Winston Churchill, where he says, you know, this, the definition of success is moving from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Ah. And so reason why it's one of my favorite quotes is because huh. it's just, you know, you're going to have failure, yeah. right? Every, everywhere you go, every day, you know, when you're climbing that mountain, when you're pursuing that, that success and career, you're going to have constant little failures. Um, is there anything that you have in your life that was a failure that you liked or you'll look back on favorably that you say, God, I, I'm glad I had that failure it was my favorite failure. Well, I mean, everyone that I could think of, I'm happy it happened because it made me smarter. Mm-hmm. Learning from it. Yeah. Um, uh, my favorite failure, you know, they were all painful, mm-hmm. but I'm grateful for every one of them. I mean, one, one of the cases we talk about in the book, uh, the second case we worked in the Philippines, hostages died. One of the American hostages was executed by the terrorists very early on. And of, of three remaining hostages at the very end, two of whom were Americans, um, one American and a Filipina female were both killed in friendly fire, botched rescue mission. Two out of three hostages died, one of them being American. That was a train wreck. Wow. That was a train wreck. But it c- caused us to rethink everything we did. And, and we all were determined we had to get better as a result. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was a stone we left unturned, we ain't never going to do that again. Mm-hmm. If there's an idea we didn't try because we were afraid to try it, we are never letting that happen again. And probably because of that debacle, a bunch of lives were ultimately saved mm-hmm. on down the line. Um, so we took that failure and used it to evolve. That's awesome. So that's the best way I can answer that. That's good. That's a, those are hard lessons, but you know, we, right. You just, you evolve and you learn and kind of get better. Right. So, um, you guys, it's the black swan group, right? The black swans. It kind of, it's kind of, it kind of sounds like, you know, what are we, uh, you know, are we street gang or we a dance troupe? What are we? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Is that, um, is that, is there somewhere we can find you or lis- listeners, viewers can find you, maybe hire you guys to do stuff, you know, to teach their, so we have a lot of, you know, owners of mortgage companies that listen and, if, yeah. you know, where, where do they find you on, on the online or. All right. Well, smartest move is subscribe to our newsletter. Okay. Comes out every Tuesday morning. It's short, sweet, and actionable, which mm-hmm. is what, what you want from a newsletter. Some newsletters are like 10 articles in there. You don't know what to read. <laughs> right. And who has um, time for that, right? Nobody's got time for that. You need something short, sweet, actionable, and free. Right. You know? Uh, the best way to subscribe is text the sign-up function. You, the message you send is FBI empathy, all one word. 
case is not sensitive, don't let your spell check put a space between FBI and empathy. Mm-hmm. Send all, FBI empathy, all one word, to the number 22828. And it's 22828. You get a, a response asking for your email address so we can sign you up for the newsletter. Now, the newsletter is a gateway to everything. Mm-hmm. It's a gateway to the website, which is blackswanltd.com. But the newsletter will take you there. Mm-hmm. It'll give you training announcements. It'll tell you about other free products that we have. We put out a ton of free content. There's some stuff. We're getting ready to do a training right here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. You have to be up to speed to come to one of our trainings. If you haven't read the book, you're going to be lost. Right. But our training sessions are intense. We do 60 seconds or she dies. <laughs> That's you gotta, great. You got you to be, be ready to go deep when you come so to one of our training one. sessions. Otherwise, you'd call them out. You, well, you know, and, and I, would I do that? I don't know that I'd pick on anybody in a room who was too loud. Right, or the one that doesn't comply. <laughs> uh, so you t- tell us about your book real quick, too. Um, Never split, split the, the difference. difference yes. Never split the difference. Never, Never split, split the difference. Split the difference. Never split the difference. Uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um one of the, it's in the top 10 most read, most sold on Amazon and nonfiction on mm-hmm. all categories. It is the, one of the top best selling business books on Amazon for 2019 continues to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. The best thing about it is it's readable, digestible, again, actionable. Mm-hmm. Is it on audiobook too? It's on audio. I did not read it. Okay. Um, but however you learn, Mm-hmm. Kindle hardcover. I happen to like. I'm I'm a big fan of paper hardcover books. Those are my favorites. But it is on Audible, and it's Tall Roz. My son Brandon and I and Tall wrote the book. Brandon is an uncredited co-author, mm-hmm. but he and Tall and I wrote the book together. Tall Roz is a phenomenal writer. Tall Roz is a business book writer that writes readable business books. He's also an incredible analyst. Phenomenal thinker and organizer. He helped mm-hmm. us make that book what it is, which is readable and usable. Tell us real quick why you picked that as the title. It was Tall's idea. Mm-hmm. When we got into the book process, he said, at some point in time while writing this, I will propose a number of titles to you. I will get the essence of what you guys are writing. And I will say, this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Because that was not the working title to begin with. And probably about, Two thirds of the way through, he said, this is it, man. Never split the difference. That's what you guys are driving at here more than Mm -hmm. anything else. And why and why not? And we're like, bang, you got it. Is that because it's compromise? Compromise is horrible. Right. I I saw a cartoon the other day where this uh, subtopic or the the heading, uh, the the line underneath the cartoon was, did we compromise or did we cave in? (laughs) Compromise is caving in. Right. How is that good? Right. That's a that's a good point. And and if you if you cave in, you know, I think sometimes only there's only one side winning, right? I well, I actually compromise both sides lose. Like I could I could cite instance after instance after instance of compromise where both sides lost. Mm-hmm. People think it's fair. We had to do what was fair. Right. And it destroyed everything for all sides. <laughs> if you think compromise is good, then you think that the U.S. government is really well run. 
<laughs> and you say, wow, politicians, they're doing a great job. They're not, not corrupt. Let's There's not no ever corruption. change any of them. <laughs> right. We love them all. Yep. Right, no, right. no, 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 no. And that's our <laughs> next topic for the next podcast. All right, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on. This has been very insightful. Enjoy the conversation, yeah. man. Thanks Great. for having me on. Appreciate Pleasure. it. Yep. And go find uh, Chris Voss here and please like, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you guys are looking for more content like this, we have a Fun Loans YouTube channel where we give away more tips, secrets, and origination ideas. You can also email us at info at funloans.com. And if you've made it this far, I think it's safe to say you like our content. So please subscribe, share, and send us your scenarios. Let's Fun Loans together.